Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 3. If you uh, know John the Baptist, you know he uh, doesn't hold back words. So he uh, starts very strongly for us this morning. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? And in reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. And as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming, and I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. With the chafe he will burn with an unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, because of all the evil things Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John and prison. The word of the Lord. I want to take you back to 1954, Christmas time, 1954. Some of you might be reflecting where you were. In 1954. Uh, Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe had gotten married that year. Eisenhower was president. And there was a group of people gathered together in Oak Park, Illinois, outside Chicago. And they gathered together for something peculiar. They gathered together because they thought a flood was coming. And Brentley and I did not plan that we sing about cleansing floods coming uh, with kindness uh, right before uh, the sermon time. But they thought, God's going to send a flood, or something's going to send a flood. And the leader of this group, uh, Dorothy Martin, told her followers that not only is there a flood coming to wipe people out, uh, but that they needed to gather together, and some aliens were coming. And as long as they didn't wear any metal, the aliens would take them off to their flying saucer, and they would leave this world behind and miss the flood. And that sounds kind of weird to us, right? Like, it's okay to say it. It's like, that sounds a little out there. And I feel like we have to kind of appreciate that John the Baptist probably would have felt a little out there to a lot of people at his time. He's out in the wilderness. You know, who's ever kind of thought, oh, the people out in the middle of nowhere, that they have the best reputation of that region, right? You always see like the people who feel like the Jerusalems of the world are the best places with the best thinkers, the best is going to happen there. Here's John out in the middle of of nowhere. 
saying God's about to, to reign, you better watch out because uh, God's about to uh, make his day known. And if you aren't bearing good fruit, the tree's cutting, getting cut down. You know, it's not a flood, but, but he got, he's got imagery of fire. And so people are wrestling with, what on earth is John talking about? Is that true? Is that real? What, what do I do with this John figure? And so he's out there, and there's people who are seekers who are wondering, there's got to be something more to life. And they're fleeing out to the wilderness, but they don't really know what John's up to. And they show up, and John's like, who on earth told you to come out here? What, what are you guys doing out here? You, you don't seem like the kind of people who are ready for God's return. And he has a lot of things to say about, you know, your actions and your, your presence here don't seem to align. He tells them, you know, bear fruit worthy of repentance. This is him, his way of saying, you say you want to repent. You say you want to turn to God. I don't see anything in your life that actually reflects that that's true. You're sounding a great game here. You know, oh yeah, I, I want to repent. I want to turn to God, baptize me. He's like, I don't see anything in your life that actually looks like that's true. There's a disconnect there. And he also goes on to say, hey, you know, you keep saying that you're probably okay. You know, things are fine. I'm God's children, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a child of Abraham. That's going to be, I'm, I'm safe. I don't have to worry about things, right? I don't need to change. I don't need to, to bear good fruit. And John's like, hey, you say that you're children of Abraham, but God could raise these stones into children of Abraham. God can do what God wills. What are you doing? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. And so he's saying all of these things to them, and he's saying, hey, you lack a proper urgency. You guys feel like, oh, yeah, we want to turn to God. We want to follow God. But I kind of like that I identify with God. I don't really want my life to look like I identify with God. And so John's like, hey, the axe is at the root of the tree. They're trying to go as far down on this tree as they can. Right? The imagery of that is, is kind of funny to, to imagine the root at the root that we're cutting it off. But hey, the tree is ready to be cut down, ready to be thrown in the fire. Are you sure you don't want to actually live like what you say you believe, like what you say you're for? But people have a hard time living out what they say that they're for. And so people are wondering, okay, you said we should bear fruit worthy of repentance. Well, what on earth should we do? What does God want of us? This is like a never-ending question, right? Keep wondering, well, what on earth should I do? What should I do? And sometimes we overcomplicate it. And John's going to give a, a basic version of just, hey, love your neighbor. He doesn't say that phrasing here. But all of the things he says is about what happens when you love your neighbor and treat them accordingly. And so John tells them, I'm going to read this to you again, just so we're reminded of it. What should we do? He said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has food must do likewise. That doesn't feel like the kind of thing that's the top of the list. You know, it's like, okay, uh, the right kinds of beliefs. I need to have the right kinds of confessions. I need to have the right, everything kind of set in the row. And he's just like, what should I do? If you've got enough coats, you should let someone who has no coat have a coat. That doesn't feel like it's a big spiritual, like essential thing. 
And John says, hey, what should you do? You want to bear fruit worthy of repentance to follow God. When you have enough coats, you should let somebody have a coat. If you have enough food and someone has not enough food, share some food. Sometimes we make faith really overly complicated. He's like, hey, when you have more than enough, share. It's like we're talking to the little kids again, right? When you're, you're raising up kids and it's like, mine, mine, mine. It's like, hey, you've got plenty of toys. Just share. There's enough. And so, so much of what John is telling the people is, hey, if you want to follow after God, if you want to repent, you want to turn to God, whatever you have, share it so that people aren't without, that people aren't lacking, that they have enough. And so that talks to everybody. Like everyone in here, if you have have clothes, if you eat food, that teaching applies to us. But there's also some specifics of people who are like, okay, well, I'm I'm in my own little category. I'm my own person. What do you want me to do, though? Is there anything for me? Do you have a word for me, John? And so the tax collectors come and they say, hey, what should we do? And he's basically telling them, stop profiteering. You don't need to collect more money than you need to. So when you start extracting more money from people, you're taking more than you need to. You're hurting your brother and sister. You're hurting your neighbor. Stop it. Stop doing that. And likewise, the soldiers say, hey, what, what should we do? He's like, stop intimidating and threatening and hurting people to take their money. Like, Stop it. There's enough. And so John, with this question of what should we do, gives all of these answers around just how you treat your neighbor, how you treat those around you. And so whatever you do in life, do it to support other people instead of extracting and taking things as much as we can from each other. You think about how often in our world we, we kind of easily default to like, well, the companies or governments or these big institutions, they're doing these things, but we want to extract ourselves from those practices and those, those difficult things. But you know, think about, um, you know, you'll see in the news, the uh, pharmaceutical company gets bought out. They've got a really old patent and suddenly this medication goes up 500% in cost. And it's because we can. Why do I take more than I need? You know, you think about when people are facing homelessness and we create more ordinances or policies that fine people who are homeless. Like this is going to help. But we just keep taking more than we need. And so how do we live life where we love one another and that our faith isn't just about being right with God and saying, oh, I'm a child of God, but how do I support my neighbor around me. And so John has all of these religious seekers, all these people out in the wilderness wondering, what do I need to do? And John's pleading with them. He's he's pleading that there might be a better world they can be a part of with God. Now, I want to go back to 1954. Uh, You might wonder, who on earth was gathered in this situation where they're expecting aliens to come and get taken off in a flying saucer. And uh, the, the leader of that group, um, she, uh, her name was Dorothy Martin, 
she was into Scientology and just some other kinds of stuff, really liked aliens. And you might be thinking, oh, it's just kind of really out there people showing up. But one of the people who was there in that group uh, was a staff doctor at Michigan State University who was fired from his position because he kept talking about this kind of stuff to his students and they kept getting a little concerned. But you had scientists, you had doctors, you had people that you feel like should know better than showing up in the middle of Oak Park thinking there's where the aliens are gonna take you off. And I should mention that they didn't just do this once. They went out on December 17th expecting aliens to take them from the planet. Didn't happen. And so that night, oh, you know, recalculating. They, they, they were waiting on us. We needed to go through a trial run. Tomorrow, December 18th, they show up, nothing happens. Okay, you know what? The real day, December 21st, they show up, nothing happens. And strangely, instead of being dissuaded, when we experience conflicts of like our beliefs and, and what we experience, our brains have some interesting ways of, of dealing with the tension. And so after three failures, what do they do? They expected Christmas Eve. Now we have it, that's the date. But they didn't just get together, they wrote an article for the newspaper saying, this is the time, this is going to happen. So they got even more bold. And 200 people showed up to see this group, see what was happening. Nothing happened again. They're singing Christmas carols, they go back inside. But the people didn't seem too dissuaded by this world not quite fitting what their belief systems showed to them. One of the other groups of people in this group in Oak Park was a team from the University of Minnesota. It was a group of psychologists who weren't there because they were believers, though they passed themselves off as that, but because they wanted to study groups and how they deal with tensions when their beliefs and their actions don't line up. And so Leon Festinger, who is famous for developing uh, the phrase cognitive dissonance, it's become a really uh, big phrase in psychology, that phrase started from him and his writing about that group. After that happened, he writes a book, When Prophecy Fails, and talks about how this group wrestled with, why didn't this happen? And why is it that when we have a tension between what we believe and what we do, our experience, we get stressed, we get anxious, our bodies get frustrated, we, and then we just start kind of lying to ourselves. Uh, and, and maybe to give you an example, cognitive dissonance. Uh, almost everyone would agree and say, uh, smoking is, is not healthy for you. And yet, if you are someone who smokes, you have to then kind of decide, well, it's not that unhealthy, or, well, I do a lot of healthy things, and you kind of have to figure out how to make the tension of those two things resolve for yourself. And so for that group in 1954, they're like, okay, I believe these aliens are gonna come take me, and it didn't happen. Well, okay, well, maybe they're testing us, maybe they're just trying to try this out, maybe I wasn't dressed right, what, what's going on? And what's going on in John's time is he's looking out at people who say they wanna follow God. They're, they're getting out of town, they're showing up in the wilderness, saying, I wanna follow God and yet their lives doesn't look like it. 
It's like, how is it we can believe I'm supposed to love my neighbor, and yet I continually don't act like I love my neighbor? Why is it I continue to fall short of it, even though I I believe it to be true, I say it, it matters to me? And how do I deal with this tension? And so I think that when we read text and we hear proclamations that we think, oh, that's good news, like, yeah, you know, give your cloak up, give your food over when you've got more than enough, you know, give back the money. You hear all these things and you think everybody agrees and therefore everyone's going to follow it. But in our story, it doesn't quite go that way. When we get to the end of what John has been telling everybody, he says, hey, give these things up. It says that the response of the people was they were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah. Let me tell you, as uh, someone who uh, preaches and who knows a lot of pastors, this is not the, re- the kind of conclusion that you hope to messages. Ah, good sermon, preacher. I mean, that's what they're saying. They're like, John, that was a good message. Man, he's good. You think he's the Messiah? And they make it all about John. It doesn't have this kind of like uh, Zacchaeus ending where it's like, oh, I'm going to give all my stuff up. Here's what I'm giving over to the poor. Let me make it right. You got a bunch of people pushing the subject off by wondering about who John is. And so often, we're the same. God speaks something simple to us, and instead of just doing it, we figure out how to think about other things, complicate the matter. Maybe we, we, we run away from God. Maybe we try to lock God up, because that's what Herod did in this story. You know, the people are thinking maybe he's the Messiah. Herod's thinking maybe he needs to go to prison. But nobody in the story immediately goes and just does the things that are talked about. This good news with expectations. And so, how do we apply what God is calling us to do? The people ask, what then should we do? I think each of us has heard from God in our lives about something that God is calling us to. Whether it's a relationship that that you're looking to restore, whether it's a life kind of move, a changing of, of jobs, of opportunities, of, you know, you've got something that you've felt God calling you to. And so often we distract ourselves, we, we convolute it, we add other things that distract ourselves instead of just doing it. And so today, one of the invitations is, is whatever God is calling you to do, why not now? Just respond Follow God wherever God leads you. And so, for some of us, we got to stop changing the subject, stop trying to complicate things. Just say yes to God. For some of us, we spend too much time around some people that like to complicate it for us. And you feel that calling, and then some people like kind of pull you down. So you need to recognize, when are people pulling me down from what God is inviting me to? Maybe there's... uh, TV shows or or news stations or radio or whatever it is, like there's some sort of outside presence, outside voice in your life that you find keeps leading you down paths that aren't where God's inviting you. What is it to, to mute that, to turn that off? How do we just spend time with God and say, yes, God, I will do what you call me to. I'm not gonna live this 
duplicitous life where I say one thing about you and yet my life doesn't resemble that. And then what is it to be a community? The community who goes out into the wilderness but lives that together well. One of the things that I continually find myself um, wanting to keep reiterating for us is that we are the church not just during this hour, we are the church throughout the week, 24-7. And so when people, you know, sometimes I think people uh, hear about Cafe Connection on Wednesday nights and like, oh, that's so nice. I think that's a nice little add-on. That's, that's nice that you decide to kind of do that thing. Like, that is just as much who we are as church as a worship service time. Like, we don't get to pick and choose when we're the church. We are living God's calling. And so it's, a, it's not an add-on for us. It's a time where, do you have enough food? Share it. Do you have two cloaks and someone has none? Share it. Uh, it was beautiful because, you know, it sounds like our Wednesday nights are about just food, but we had someone who, who came in who um, was not, did not have clothes to handle the Michigan winters. And uh, they, they left not only having been fed, getting great service and, and hearing music, uh, but they got leggings and a, like a fleece uh, pullover and they got to a bed at the interfaith shelter. Like they were cared for. Why? Not because it's just a nice thing to do, but it is what God calls you to do. God invites us to love our neighbors. So when our neighbors are in need, we support them. And it's not just only about giving, 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 but to be a part of that community means we are in the midst of receiving God's blessings together. And it's a beautiful thing. And there's an urgency when you see people you know, if you see someone outside in, in this kind of weather without a coat, you know there's an urgency to that problem. And I think for a lot of us, our faith has not had as much urgency. And that's one of the things that John really does well, is like, hey, the ax is at the root of the tree. Do something. Respond now. And I was this last week at a Christmas party with some other church consultants for the region, and uh, there was a consultant who was talking about um, a church that he had worked with in another state. And he said he, he walked around and there was always this great uh, Bible, like Bible study, this book group, uh, and it was a senior adult women's book group. Uh, he th said that they were primarily in their 80s and 90s and, and they'd love to ask him questions. He'd come up and talk to them. And one day they asked him, hey, pastor, why do you think we don't reach young families? And the pastor told me, he said, I asked them, are you sure you want to know? Because I'm not sure you want to know the answer. I said, yeah, yeah, pastor, tell us. And so he told me that, this is what he told them. He said, tell me about your, your first cars. Anybody have like a 56 Chevy? And Oh yeah, I love those cars. I love them. Anybody still driving that 56 Chevy? And they're like, oh no, you know, I love my, my heated seats. I love my backup camera on my, my car and all of these things. He's like, he's talking to them like, do you, any of you think that if General Motors only sold that 56 Chevy every single year, that they'd still be in business? There's an urgency to the business world that we don't always live out. Because like, if you don't sell enough, you just 
shut down. And they have to reach customers. They have to reach people, reach people, reach people. But how many of us in our lives look at our neighbors, look at our coworkers, look at our friends and say, I want to reach you for God? Like, shouldn't we be the most urgent people? Shouldn't we be the people who most want to figure out what, how can I bring God's love into your life? But we tend to just coast. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to them another day. I'll invite them to something another day. Uh, I don't want to give up my spot next to them. Yeah, yeah I, want, I like my spot where I sit. But John invites us. What should we do? Love your neighbor. When you love your neighbor and you're going out, you're giving them your cloak, you're giving them food when you have extra, you are focused not on what do I get out of my faith, but what can I give? Because God gives so much. And that's the beauty of the good news, that we continue on a line of people who have been faithful to that, a line of people who have said, I want to share with you. Nobody is here probably because uh, they just found out about Christianity on their own and they had never heard about it. Someone has poured into your life, someone has, has shared with you, someone has, has walked with you. And so John might be an inspiration for all of us of how do we reach out to the next person? How do we call them out to a new life? One that's not overly complicated, one that's simple. Love God, love your neighbor. And so with that, may we all just respond. No more complications. Will you respond to God today? Would you pray with me? Lord God, We ask your forgiveness for every time that we turn from your direction, your wisdom, your love. Lord, there are so many times that you have spoken and we've been afraid, we've been anxious. Lord, help us to step out in faith. Lord, help us to have eyes to see those who are in need around us those who, who struggle with things that we are not even aware are problems. Lord, help us to take an inventory of what we have and the blessings that you've given us. Help us to be grateful. Help us to realize that there's enough and that we can trust you to share your love, your blessings with those around us. Lord, let today be the day that we say yes. The day that we say yes to your good news. We say yes to loving you and whoever is our neighbor that we struggle to love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.